Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Hi, uh, I'm Gina Olson. I am a PhD candidate in MLab at Oregon State University. Thank you for having me on. Great. So we would like to know what actually you work in soft robotics. Yeah. Um, so I work primarily on the materials and uh, structure development side. So mm -hmm. I look at developing new actuators and patterning those actuators into larger systems and then developing models for those systems. Mm -hmm. Great. So it sounds interesting because you're working in different material and uh, designing. So I think this is really rich to, to explain more about that. So before going to more details, why you choose to work in soft robotics and when and how you became interested in this domain? Yeah, I've actually flipped between academia and industry um, a few times, mm -hmm. and my last job in industry was uh, working with silicone and molding silicone, um, and I decided to go back to grad school, and I happened into uh, MLab. I, I met Yeet, the professor, by chance, mm -hmm. um, and learned about soft robotics. It was the first time I'd ever really even considered entering robotics as a field and it, it sounded really interesting like there were a lot of great technical challenges mm. and I pretty much accepted an offer to join his lab right then mm. and that was about two years ago. That's interesting. Actually I have a question here because you have uh, the both experience in, in academia and industry. So may mm. I ask why you choose to go to back to graduate school because I think this is in the in the long run, you have to decide whether you would like to continue in academia or industry. So this is the question here: What's the difference between being in industry, working in, in silicon, and coming back to grad school? Why you, you choose to do that? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, so for me, the kind of the difference between academia and industry is that in industry, you are handed the problems that you need to solve, mm -hmm. which can be really nice because you know that the problems that you're solving are relevant. Someone someone really wants those solved. They're willing to pay you to solve them. And in academia, you kind of have to find your own problems um, mm -hmm. and decide for yourself that they're important. So I went back because I really wanted to do research. Um, I was doing a lot of interesting technical work um, in my last job, but there wasn't really a lot of opportunity for research. Um, and so I came back purely for that, actually. Mm -hmm. Cool. So we'd like to ask you more details about work that you've done so far, it just a, in a basic understanding for people that can't understand what you do. So you mentioned you work in material and designing Twitter. Could you please tell us more about uh, your research in detail, what you do? Yeah, um, so my focus is really on soft structures and how to use the materials we have available to build better soft structures. Mm -hmm. um, engineering as a whole has developed a lot of really great design rules for traditional structures, um, but for soft structures, I don't think we really, really established those so much. Um, and so 
a lot of what I do, or I, I try to do, is is look at the problem holistically and say, okay, so we have these materials available, silicone, polyurethane, um, hydrogels, and what what can we realistically do with them when we have these actuators? How can we connect them? And how can we generate different motions without impeding other motions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have a question here about the material because soft robotics, of course, the core, uh, the core idea also lies in the material. And you mentioned you're working in silicon and hydrogel, and so far I think you're working also in electroactive uh, polymer. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so um, I'll just clarify there. That so we have a, a lab that um, has broad interests, and um, we have some. I think it's it's actually electro-rheological fluid that we work with in the lab. Um, I primarily work with silicones, and um, there are a few other members of the lab that primarily work with um, electro-rheological fluid. Mm-hmm. So the question here, because I think this is really important if you agree about the material itself. So from your perspective, what do you think of the material? Because silicon is still passive and... Because I think there is some people agree that uh, we can um, use silicon material for designing soft robotics, but we use actuation like pneumatic or cables, and the other category is uh, using electroactive. What, what do you think about this different, uh, different type of material? Which one do you think would be promising for soft robotics? I, I think they're both promising in, in different ways. They have different challenges. Um, so. Silicone is a relatively resilient material mm. right up until you nick it, and then it's not so great. It tends to tear very quickly. Um, and so we can get with these with these pneumatic systems quite a bit of power for the weight. Um, but in our experience, they don't last as long as we'd really like them to. On the other side, the electroactive polymers, um, they they're great because it's a direct electrical input to actuation, mm-hmm. but they don't produce nearly as much force. And I think that soft robotics as a whole is really still looking for that ideal primary mover mm-hmm. that we haven't found it and that we'll have to continue to explore both options. They, they both have promise, but I don't think we yet have the actuator that all soft robotics should use. Mm-hmm. So I would like to ask you what the challenges that uh, you face in research already. And you can also, because you, there is different aspects of uh, material use, you can highlight what are the challenges that you have seen so far, whether in industry and academia, because I think you have the both eyes to judge what are the challenges. So... On a day-to-day basis, the biggest challenge that we face is the fact that we we start from essentially nothing. There are no soft robotic systems that we can buy off the shelf. There's no even real like base actuators that we can buy off the shelf and build more complex systems. When we start our research, we have to plan in time and effort mm. just to build our test bed that we're going to start to do our research on. And getting... Um, certainly from my industry background, I, I put a lot of focus on getting consistent results out of our manufacturing processes, and Yeet's been really supportive of that, and there are a lot of members of the lab that are also really supportive of that, but it's still really challenging, mm. and you have to put a lot of time in just to guarantee that 
test sample A comes out somewhere close to test sample B. Mm. Mm. Um, so uh, this is certainly a challenge that I'm interested in. Um, from the more high-level side, I think the challenge that we all face is that up until now, continuing through now, soft robotics really hasn't found an industry niche that is mm. strongly motivating it. We have yet to really demonstrate that this is a problem that soft robotics is better than traditional robotics at solving. And you should use soft robotics because of this. Mm. It's still uh, kind of a future potential uh, research topic. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting point because later we will discuss about soft robotics in industry. And you would highlight that, that soft robotics didn't find its niche yet in, in a room or name in industry. So this is really interesting point to be discussed later. Um, in recent time, there is a challenge that now you face in your research, just in, 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 your, re, in your current research. Is there challenges you solve already now, you're trying to solve? So is the question, are you asking if there are technical challenges that yeah, we're and, and, actively working on right now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so there certainly are um, technical challenges that we're actively working on right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we've had some, some good success in formulating accurate models that are kind of agnostic to the structure. So things where we can change the structure reformulate the model based on the changes we've had mm. and still get a reasonably accurate result. Which is a little bit of a different approach than modeling for control where you want a lot of accuracy for one soft robot. Kind of the models that we've been working on um, take the approach of we want it to be pretty accurate for a broad class of soft robots. And this is really helpful for us in looking at what are the limiting factors in soft robots. What what part of our design is making, is, is capping our capability? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for issues of replicability of the actuators, you mentioned you really has, have to make sure that the samples get the same performance, mechanical performance. So is it still a challenging to replicability process and how you can overcome this, this uh, part of making sure that each sample had the same performance? So I will add a caveat on that one to note that I am talking about a different, a different members of the lab research. So mm -hmm. um, if I don't have all the details, I apologize. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes, for the electrophysiological fluids, uh, there is a significant consistency problem, part of which stems from the difficulty in procuring a commercially made electrophysiological fluid. There just are not a lot out there to procure and making them by hand is a really, mm. um, it can be done, but it does introduce a lot of inconsistency. And we had the best success when we were using a commercial uh, electrolytical fluid and, um, and had a sort of a basic manufacturing process that was being followed. And, and I apologize that I don't know mm -hmm. the key details for that. The, the takeaway that I found from it was that we were, we were not really able to achieve success when we tried to make the fluids by hand. We could, we could get one to work, we could get another one to work, 
but getting that kind of consistency that we could get out of the commercial fluid was was just not there. Oh, okay, so I would like to ask you, um, because you are now a senior PhD student, and maybe you were working different aspects of robotics in terms of control or design. Are you more interested in design uh, of soft robotics, making smart soft robotics using electroactive polymer or ionic other types, or just controlling soft robotics? So this is, in other words, it implies to embedded intelligence soft robotics to making fully soft soft robotics that's smart without using rigid elements inside it. So which one you are interested in, uh, in designing or or adding intelligence, smart material to soft robotics? I definitely fall on the design side. Mm. Um, there are very real challenges in controlling soft robots, and um, all the work being done there is, is really great work. But for my personal interests, I am I'm very interested in, you know, how do we build more capable soft mm. robots? And, and how, how do we build systems that don't need a lot of control, but still have a lot of capability. But it's definitely for me, I'm, I'm on the design side. Mm -hmm. So for the control, what, what limitation you see when you, of course, there's a lot of work in this uh, respect, but what, what from your side, what do you see that, why we cannot uh, go to control aspect? From your thinking, that I would like to hear why you think it's not so much a problem thing as design. Well, I, I don't think that it's not, so much promising. I think that a lot of the work being done there is really promising. Mm. Um, it's just that for my personal interest, for what I see my skills applying to, mm -hmm. um, yeah. design is is the thing that I see my skills applying to more. Um, I see. Mm -hmm. Great. So, as soft robotics in interestingly field, so how we can overcome the challenges of speaking different languages for material science, electrical engineering, mechanical, of course, there's different um, domains working in project. So it is challenging to communicate in, in the project, and if that, how we can overcome that? Um, I, I think that we do pretty well, actually, overcoming the um, diversity of the community. Uh, if anything, it's not really so much overcoming it is as we use it to our, to our best advantage. You know, soft robotics is really great in that it has um, strong research groups all across the world, um, mm. and the Soft Robotics Conference uh, that was started recently um, has been really great for that. Um, I've gone both times, and it's been been really enlightening to see the work from all of the different groups across mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I, I think that we do pretty well at that. Okay, great. So. What do you think of the most project uh, that was promising have been done so far by other social group in soft robotics? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. Um, so it's hard for me to answer that question across soft robotics as a whole mm. because we, we fall into so many different subgroups. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we have kind of the ionic polymer group and the um, the penile hazel actuator work that came out of um, Keplinger's group, yeah. and that was a really interesting um, 
a really interesting approach that that I hadn't really seen before, and that was um, was really novel and really nice to see. And then uh, you have kind of the more heavy material development side coming out of the the group at Cornell. Um, and then for me personally, because I work primarily on octopus inspired soft robots, um, the work that was done years ago by um, by Ian Walker at Clemson mm-hmm. has been really foundational for me. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I would would want to pick just one that's the most promising. You know, we have so many challenges in, in soft robotics and so many great researchers working on those different challenges that it would be really hard to pick the most promising one. Mm-hmm. Cool. So how do you see soft robotics in the future? So if you imagine how we can have soft robotics in the future. Would we have soft robotics in our home? Do you, do you have this kind of imagination how we will have soft robotics after a couple of years? Do you, do you have thoughts about that? Yeah, so I personally think that where we'll see soft robotics first is in really strong conjunction with traditional robotics. Um, the things that seem to be gaining the most traction in industry or in potential application are kind of the smaller applications of soft soft robotics like the like graspers or um, soft fingertips on traditional robots um, and i think that's where we'll see it first um, and it may not be in our homes it may just be in industry um, i think that soft robotics is is a really young field and there's a long way to go to know where it's the most efficient solution. Hmm. Okay. So can I get to question? I think this is really applied to you because you have the post experience in industry and academia. So back to your answer. You highlighted some great points that, so I would like to ask you how you foresee soft robotics in the industrial sector. And do you think it really can find a room for it uh, or niche in, in an industry? And if so, what what you think what we can do for can really have a, a, a strong uh, room for for soft robotics in industry? Yeah, yeah I, I definitely think that there is room for soft robotics in the industrial sector and possibly a really strong need for it. Mm. I'm not sure it will take exactly the form that we see in in the field right now but um yeah i I think that certainly um soft grippers have started to make real inroads in pick and place and those kind of tasks and i think that we'll i at least i would like to see that kind of work extend to more compliant hand work um but then also uh it's um, anytime you have robots working with with humans, even in even where I worked, where we had relatively few robots and a lot of humans, the robots are very distinctly separated by these big cages, and it's you know it's danger. Don't go in. Do not do not enter. Um, it's a big safety problem, mm-hmm. and I certainly think that there is room for soft robots in that kind of industrial manufacturing, particularly kind of manufacturing that that might require human dexterity um, but could still be improved by having a machine aid mm. so 
Yeah, where I really look to it is that kind of manufacturing that still exists in a lot of in a lot of um, industry where you you just need human dexterity still, but having a robot third hand to help could really improve things. Mm-hmm. So can I ask you about uh, the company Soft Robotics Incorporation because we will have them later on the, this podcast. What do you think of the project, Howard? The the soft robotics uh, for picking fruit or something. How, because you have this experience in industry, so how you see the company from your eyes? Yeah. So I uh, am of course aware of Soft Robotics Inc. and I have read the news articles, mm-hmm. but I I don't know a lot about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've watched their videos uh, and the product seems really great and it seems like they have found a really nice focus. Mm. that they're um, folk, they have they have a target market and they're focusing on that market but I I don't really know enough about them to, to comment yeah. to any more depth okay great so I do know market now is interested in AI and becoming a driving force to change our lives so do you think that we can integrate soft robotics and AI so to having intelligent soft robotics for instance, that if we have the chibi changing actuators, do you think we have to come up with new terminology for combining AI and soft robotics? Do you think it's really worth to to think about this, or what, what do you think from your perspective there? I definitely think there is there is room for combining AI and soft robotics, and it may in fact be the only real way to do um, a, like a true fully soft robot or uh, a soft robot with a lot of actuators. Um, and I don't know that we really need new terminology because it, it makes sense if you just um, step back and think about it, right? That um, humans are essentially soft systems and we definitely go through a long learning process to learn how to control our bodies. Mm. Um, and so it makes sense to me just intuitively to think that as we drive towards more complex soft robots, that um, using the existing AI tools like machine learning to improve their control, to develop um, more intuitive uh, user interfaces just makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think that we necessarily need new terminology. I think that the, the terminology that we have is fine. And that, um, if anything, that as soft robotics grows as a field and we can really start to show how things like morphological computation really apply in mm. robot robots and developing capability that it will be become clearer um, just how 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 well these two things mesh together mm-hmm. so I would like to ask you do you think how how we can engage soft robotics for general public do you think we have to do that uh, like uh, to outreach people or let them know how soft robotics could be important in the long run. So do you think there is a way we can do that to make general public interested? I actually think that soft robotics is incredibly lucky. We, mm. We're we in a field that is so textile and so, so demo-friendly that mm. it's really easy to engage the general public. We, we, and we have tours through the Oregon State Robotics Lab. Mm. Um, everyone's always really excited to see our lab because we have so many like things that we have built 
and things that are really safe for us to just pass around with them and have them uh, handle them, have them try to inflate them. In terms of fields of research in robotics, um, self-robotics is so lucky that we have clear, understandable demos that we can share with the public. And I would definitely encourage any soft robotics lab um, to engage with the public, to have tours, to invite them in, to go to schools, to to show off what they're doing, because mm. it's just a really great, friendly introduction to robotics. Robotics sometimes can have this like really scary idea around it. It's automation, there's jobs lost, but it's really hard when you when you are demonstrating a soft robot to have anyone have that kind of negative connotation of it it's just generally a lot of fun hmm that's uh, that's also a nice idea because i think now there's many uh, singularity about robotics that many people can lose jobs in the future and i think you also more found that because of the u.s election 2020 uh the, by andrew he, he he just suggested that this idea. So do you, do you think this something could be really scary or creepy to have soft robotics in industry that do you think about that or? Um, you know, I think about it a little bit, but yeah. I think again, soft robotics is pretty lucky in that we're really, mm. really as a community, pretty strongly focused on things, jobs and tasks that mm. are with humans or to save humans mm. from, from the risk and that um, the focus is not not so much on replacing humans mm. as augmenting humans, uh, helping them do things better. Mm. Yeah, that. So do you think that we have to integrate soft robotics just uh, in early education for children? For instance, you know that Elon Musk said that for his kids, he didn't let them go to school, but he did a private school with them. They learned basics, how to design, wrench, instead of going to school. Do you, do you agree with this kind of thoughts? Do you think it's really, could really worthwhile for that the children uh, education? Um, again, I think actually that it's an opportunity that soft, soft robotics, because the, our primary movers are things that can be made by hand, that it's a, a really good tool to introduce children to robotics, that, you know, it's easy to develop a education program, a short, you know, hour long program where they mold a simple actuator. Uh, I apologize, I forget the name, but there was someone who was talking about that. They basically made edible soft actuators mm. to introduce grade school children to this, these ideas of engineering and robotics. Um, mm. And I absolutely think that soft robotics should be integrated in to the education programs, ideally at, at a young age. Um, I think it's a really great opportunity to have a interactive uh, introduction mm -hmm. to these kind of ideas that will definitely still be around and if not more dominant as they grow up. Mm -hmm. Great. So now I would like to ask you, what really sparked your interest in engineering? Because when you were a kid and and do how how these studies, private studies, equipped you to be uh, a researcher now, a beach researcher in soft robotics? So I was very lucky. Mm. Um, my both my parents are engineers. Um, so I grew up in a household where engineering was always mm. something that was around, something that I should consider as a future career. 
there definitely was not uh, a requirement that I go into engineering, but it was always a, I was always aware that it was a possibility, that it was something that I could do. Um, and when I applied to undergrad, I, I think by then I really knew that engineering and particularly building things was something that I was very interested in. Um, and the path to soft robotics for me was, um, was definitely wandering. It wasn't something that I set out knowing that I wanted to be a soft roboticist. Um, I, my first uh, time through grad school, I actually worked on deployable structures for spacecraft, um, which is a, is a technical problem that on the face of it looks very different from soft robotics, but actually is a lot of the same key skills. It's nonlinear deformations, it's nonlinear materials, it's how do you create vast shape changes in structures. Um, mm -hmm. And then transitioning from there to industry where I worked on, you know, molding silicone components, sort of, I just happened to gain most of the key skills that are really needed for soft robotics, but it was, it was very happenstance. It wasn't something that I set out to go to these places to learn these skills so that I could be a soft roboticist. And I think that's a story that um, is pretty common in soft robotics to, to have people come over from traditional robotics or mm. from materials development backgrounds or even from chemistry yeah. to, to embrace soft robotics, which is really great, honestly. It's, it's really nice to have that kind of um, technical diversity in the field. Awesome. So I would like to ask you about the social group you're working on. What is really interesting, because we all know that when you're working on supportive labs uh, that impress your ideas or something, it leads to success. So is there something that's really interesting that you see in, you, in the lab you're working on you would like to share with us? So I think the, the best part about both the combination of the lab that I work in and the greater department that I work in is just, um, just how collaborative it is. Um, so we have, at this point, where our lab is a little bit smaller than it was, but when I, when I started, there were eight or so um, people. And what was nice about it is there were not eight people working on one idea. There were eight people working on eight extremely different ideas. We have materials work, we have 3D printing work, we have um, some soft snake work, and I was starting on a project that was not any of those. I was starting on, a, on an octopus-inspired project. And so when we would have lab meetings, it would each presentation would be so different. Um, and Yid has worked really hard to build this really collaborative atmosphere where at lab meeting, we're really encouraged to, to help each other. Say, hey, mm. you're having challenges with this? I happen to have done something like this in my past. How about, how about we collaborate and I help with that? Um, and the same thing kind of extends to Oregon State. Um, mm. It's a relatively new robotics program, but we have 10 or 12 maybe now great faculty, and it's all a very collaborative environment. Um, I, uh, it's a, the project that I'm on is co-PI'd by a traditional robotics researcher, and they, the aspect of, that they are looking at is the, kind of the motion planning part mm. of it. So it's really interesting to be working on a project and be thinking totally about the design, and then have them be asking me questions about like, okay, so if we wanted to work on the motion planning aspect of this. Like, how would it move? Mm. What would happen if we ran it into an obstacle? Like, what, what can we do with that? Um, and it's just a really nice collaborative atmosphere, uh, which I really appreciate. Great. 
So as you, a senior woman in the PhD research in the robotics community, what best advice you can give to any woman interested in pursuing soft robotics research or robotics in general? And do you think that we have a gender disparity in soft robotics community? I do think that we have a gender disparity, but I think that across all of the robotics subfields, mm. it's the closest to equal that I've seen. That um, when you look around at, at soft robotics conferences at RoboSoft, you see a lot of other women that maybe we're not to 50-50, but we're doing, we're doing pretty good. Um, and so the piece of advice that I would give you know, to any woman who's interested in soft robotics research is, is do it. Don't, don't um, let any sort of fear of gender disparity or ill treatment in the community stop you. It's um, honestly, I think something that's really rare in the community and it's overall very friendly mm. to diversity of all kinds. Mm -hmm. Cool. So as a senior student, PhD student, what advice you can give to a starting PhD student that's starting the work in soft robotics? And as you highlighted that you can, came from another domain in robotics to start a really new uh, project in soft robotics. So do you have any advices that you can give to students starting soft robotics? So there's a few, a few pieces of advice that I give. Mm. Um, so if you're, for us, a lot of times our brand new PhD students are actually brand new master's students that um, are coming in at the start of a five-year program. And so the piece of advice is that, I, that I typically give are, you know, first that research really is very different from undergrad and it takes a while to learn that. And that's okay that, you know, your first paper, when you look back, you're not going to be that happy with it. And that's normal. Mm. Um, that research is difficult and it's okay that things take a long time because you have to break that intellectual ground. You're the first person to really be thinking about this. And so you can't go to the textbook and find the answer. Mm -hmm. And the second piece of advice that I give to these students, particularly ones that are just coming out of undergrad, that have never worked in industry, that are starting on a path that may not be a path that they actually like, that it's okay to not like research. That if you get the end of your master's and you think wow research is just really not for me you mm. know I can do it but I'm not happy doing it but it's okay to not like research that if you want to go to industry if you're happier in industry that doesn't mean you're a failure it just means that you would you would prefer a more structured environment um, research can be very isolating um, mm. And really good labs will do things to counter it. But at the end of the day, it's still you and your problem. And, and that's kind of it. Um, and I, I would never want a student to feel trapped in that, to feel like because they don't enjoy research, that that means that they're a failure. Because it doesn't. It just means that they might be better suited to industry, just like some people in industry will be better suited to research. Um, that's really a best advice I have ever heard. I think really, really great idea and advice to students because you highlighted the point that sometimes when you stay in the lab, it's isolating. And I would like to ask you how you can overcome that because we all of us know that many students, you know, we end up, there's 
mental health because you have a problem and you have to solve it. So if a student really interested in research and he wants to continue, but he's struggling at some point how to balance between your, your life, personal life, and, and the research, do, do you have any advices on how you can overcome this, uh, this really important point? Yeah, uh, so I will first off offer the caveat that I do not always take the advice I'm about to give, and that I am I'm not always the best at um, <laughs> doing these things, but I, I do think they're good things to do, is that kind of setting limits to your day mm. and saying, hey, I'm not coming in before this time, and if it hits this time at night and the problem isn't solved, I'm still going to go home. That um, all I have seen a tendency in in the kind of people that are successful at research to really get into a problem and really want to keep working on it. Um, but that having the self-discipline to set those kind of boundaries will ultimately make you more productive in the end. Mm. Um, and then the second piece of advice is that uh, not to underestimate the power of talking through an idea with someone else, even if they're not in your field, even if they're, you don't think they'll be able to solve your problem, sometimes just talking aloud to them and having them ask questions that may be completely irrelevant hmm. can be extraordinarily helpful in breaking down any mental barriers in your own brain. Oh, cool. So the last question, uh, after you were joining in graduate school, do you prefer to stay in academia or go into industry again? Yes, this is a, a question I ask myself on an almost daily basis. Yeah. Um, so I think that I will stay in academia. Um, mm. Kind of the thing that has changed is that I have had the opportunity to mentor a few undergraduates through um, REU programs, and I have found that very rewarding to help them learn what research is and how to break down research problems and solve research problems. Mm. Um, just kind of that act of mentorship has been, been in some ways more rewarding than the actual research that I have accomplished at Oregon State. And so I think that I will probably stay in IED now. Cool. Thanks so much, Dana, for your time. And at the end of broadcasting and on behalf of IEEE Soft Robotics, I would like to thank you. Thanks so much. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you.